Father God, we bless you for being our Father. Oh, all of grace. You've brought us into your family, and you've accomplished this in love through your Son, Jesus. It is, it is only through him that we can come and truly know you as our Father in heaven. We worship you in that, that love, that, that grace, that mercy, that gift you've given in Jesus, your Son. We pray today that we would see him and that our eyes would, 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 would see more and our hearts would leap for joy, that we would savor what we see. Lord, we know that there is only one way to see your Son, and that is by your Spirit's regenerating power in our lives. And so I pray that even if there would be some who came today and they, they look at Christ and they don't see glory, I pray that by the end of this morning, that you would accomplish that in this very place. Open eyes to see the glory of Christ and all of your goodness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The glory of Christ. What I want to do is go back to where we left off last week, the very last verse, where Jesus tells the disciples, the twelve, he says, listen, I tell you truly there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. What an amazing statement that would have been to hear from the lips of Jesus and to take in and say, well, what does that mean? When is that going to happen? And I believe, in part at least, that happens today in our text. And I think that's one of the reasons why Luke arranged the material the way he did, because he wanted to see this connection between Jesus' words and just a few days later, what unfolded up on the mountain. So, a mountaintop experience is where we'll begin, verse 28 and 29. Let's read that together. It says, About eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Matthew says, uh, Upon a high mountain to pray. And before we continue, let's just consider where we're at here. We need to see this. One little note, if you're reading this account in the Gospel of Matthew or in Mark, they say six days, and Luke says eight days. And there are people who are like, oh my goodness, the Bible is false. See, there's a discrepancy. And what I would say is, no, uh, it's all in how you count. Um, it's very common back in this day for there to be differences of counting in days, because the question is, do you count the day that an event occurs and the day that it uh, is fulfilled and every day in between. If you do that, you get eight days. If you only count the days in between, you have six days. It's very simple. And so that's the difference between six days, eight days. We are up in Caesarea Philippi. And you remember from last week, that's about 20 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. So this is very uh, near the top of Israel. In fact, today, uh, this is the border uh, between Lebanon and Israel. And then right over here, um, you can see this old trade route. This is Damascus, Syria, just over here. Mount Hermon is the mountain that we're going to be climbing today and spend our text up on right up in here. Now, to give you a sense of elevation, I tried to find something that would be a little more topographical. Um, the Sea of Galilee is quite low. It's 700 feet below sea level. And so the rise up to the top of Mount Hermon would be the equivalent of sitting on a boat in the, the, the ocean out here, and then climbing to the top of Mount Baker. It's about a 10,000-foot difference between the Sea of Galilee 
and the top of Hermon. That's a significant elevation rise. And so I want you to see a little bit of what that may look like from the top of Hermon. Here is a, a ski resort in Israel where they ski and they look down upon the Holy Land. If you track on down this valley, you go to the Sea of Galilee down here and then on down. So Jerusalem is down this way. What a view it would have been from the top of this mountain. 10,000 foot drop down to the Sea of Galilee. Jesus climbs up this with what we call the inner circle, the Peter, James, and John. He's got his, his closest disciples, and he's pulling them in. Rather than all 12 this time, he's just pulling the three, and he wants to have this experience on the mountaintop with them alone. Now, why did he go up there? What is he after? Well, we've seen this many times. Jesus loves to pull away and get time with the Father. He loves to go up in high places and seek solitude and pray. Pray with the Father God, time with his Father. Jesus knew what it was like to be a son. And so it seems fitting on Father's Day that this would be our, our text. Time with the Father. Now he takes three along with him. Listen to how this unfolds. As he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. And his clothing became dazzling white. Wow. So Jesus is in prayer. Something significant is happening. His clothing became dazzling white. In fact, in the other Gospels, we hear this account just with a little different detail. Listen to how uh, Matthew or Mark says it. He was transfigured before them. The word there is metamorpho. What does that remind us of? Metamorphosis. What does that remind us of? Butterflies, right? That is the level of, of, of change that's taking place. The metamorphosis of Jesus is taking place, and he, he goes from his, his, his humanity, this, this covering that he has added to his deity, and he is there, and as he prays, there, it's like the veil is pulled back on the deity of Christ. His divinity, the godness of Jesus, is revealed before them. His clothes became radiant, intensely white, and I love how Mark says this, as no one on earth could bleach them. Okay, what a fascinating way to say it. I'm not talking bleach white. I'm talking radiant white. Matthew says he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. And his clothes became as white as light. As white as light. Wow. It's interesting is to see this light. It is different than a spotlight that would be shining on my face. It's not like that. His face isn't lit up by the light coming at him. His face is lit by the light coming out of him. It's an emanating light. The reason his clothes light up is because Jesus himself is shining. And his clothes take on this brilliant, pure, white light. This glory that the disciples are given a glimpse into is a glory that both looks back and looks forward. It's a glory that looks back in that before the incarnation, before the Son of God, the second member of the Godhead, took on humanity, he was this glorious 
He was this glorious. It's the, the humanity of Christ has, has veiled this glory for a time. And that glory is, is breaking through in this moment as he prays. It's also looking forward because there is a day where Christ in all his glory, we will see him in this way. Our eyes, remade for wonder, will behold our Savior in glory. He will be so bright that on the new heaven and new earth, there is no sun. There's no need for a sun because the Lord is the light. That's bright. He lights the world. It fulfills all of his, his speaking in the temple when he says to his disciples loudly in the courts for everyone to hear, I am the light of the world. It's me. It's not that menorah that shines so bright at night. I am the light of the world. Think of how John writes this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Now what is John getting at here? John was there. He beheld this moment. He, he was there. This is the same John who's writing this and he's saying, listen, God is light. So there's a sense in which, yes, there's a physical light that emanates from Christ, but that physical light is the revelation of pure, perfect infinite holiness. He is without sin. He is completely light and radiant in perfection. Hmm. John also writes in the first chapter of his gospel, the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. What do you think he's thinking of when he wrote that verse? This moment, that's what he's thinking. We have seen his glory. He's saying, I myself am an eyewitness of the glory of the God-man, Christ Jesus. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible, John 17, the high priestly prayer, Jesus prays this to the Father. He says, Father, glorify me in your own presence how? Listen to what he says. With the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Divinity. Either Jesus, as C.S. Lewis says, was a total lunatic to pray a prayer like that, or he was in fact the Lord who had that glory before the world existed. In Colossians, we find this. Who was it that created the world? God created the world and all things through the Son. They exist by Him and for Him. Hmm. The other thing that happened for me is I, I couldn't help but think of some other mountain experiences that come to mind. Now, the more you read your Bible, the more you'll have this experience. Deja vu. Okay, you'll, you'll have this, and this is purposeful, especially if you've read your Old Testament and then you go into your New Testament because the Bible is one book. It's all woven together. Most often in the New Testament, when you're reading and you have a deja vu moment, that moment exists because what you have read in the Old Testament is a shadow, a pointer. 
that is fulfilled or unveiled in the New Testament in its fullness, in its reality, in Christ. What other mountaintop experience comes to mind where you had a a face shining? Anybody? Moses coming down from Mount Sinai. He had spent 40 days with the Lord, face to face with the Father. He had spent all of this time there, and and he, he had the tablets of stone. He's coming down from the mountain, and his face shone like the sun. Now, that was a different kind of radiance. Jesus is is like the S-U-N, sun. He is the light that emanates. Uh, Moses was more like the moon, right? It was a reflected light that sunk into him, and it, it was a reflective glory. It's the same kind of radiant light that we are to shine when we walk in this dark world. We reflect the glory of the sun everywhere we go. We are Christians, what it means to be a Christian, to to shine the light of Christ. What we say, what we do, and how we live. So, speaking of Moses, let's go to the next verse, see what happens. I call this a magnificent reunion. Verse 30, behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. They appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, his exodus, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Okay? Now, this is the moment where, if, if we're not already re- a little weirded out, this is where things get really crazy. Okay? Moses and Elijah show up on the top of this mountain, Mount Hermon, in glory. So they, they have their glorified bodies. How that has come together, I don't know fully. We'll talk about that a little more in a second, but, but here they are, and they are conversing with Jesus, who is emanating glory in the night. Moses died over 1,400 years earlier, okay? So that's why I say reunion. He has been with Christ for 1,400 years. Before the incarnation, they have been communing and joined fellowship To to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, face to face with Jesus Christ. Amazing thing. Moses is an amazing man. He is a pointer, a shadow, a, a pointer all to Christ, a future deliverer. He was raised up by God to deliver Israel from slavery in Egypt. And if you were here when we went through every verse of Exodus, you know him well, right? He was the leader in the wilderness of Zin and uh, all of the desert region down south of Israel. Um, What a wandering that was. He was the leader that God raised up. Probably the most renowned man in the history of Israel because he was the one that God used to bring the law to the people. That which revealed God in his holiness Him being set apart, but it also revealed grace and his mercy and compassion on lawbreakers. Revealed for us the sacrificial system and all of God's grace that functioned every time the lamb was slain and the blood was spilled. The Lord would show mercy and compassion and would cover over their sins. Every single lamb sacrificed pointed to who? Jesus. Moses 
was a type of Christ. He was a pointer, a shadow, uh, a fallen man. He did not enter the promised land because he sinned against the Lord. He disobeyed his word. He struck the rock twice instead of speaking to it. It's fascinating to read about his death. It's very weird and very ambiguous. The text just doesn't give us a lot of details. It says he died up on Mount Nebo and the Lord buried him. The Lord buried him. In a, in a hidden place, a secret place. No one knows to this day where Moses was buried. Some speculate because it was so unique, a, a, a death and burial, that maybe the Lord just brought him up to heaven in a special way. However he chose to do it in this moment, he is in a glorified body, recognizable as Moses, the great lawgiver. Now, Standing next to him, oh, this moment, can you imagine being there? Standing right next to Moses, speaking to the glorified Christ, is Elijah, the greatest prophet Israel has ever known. The prophet of prophets, except for Jesus. He departed 900 years earlier. I say departed instead of died because he never died. He was taken up in a fiery whirlwind, like a fiery chariot, and just gone, he, he just raptured straight up to heaven. The Lord took him straight home. He was raised up by God to call Israel out of their horrible idolatry and compromise. It was a sad day, but he came, and God used him in mighty ways, powerful ways, to deliver Israel out of their wilderness, spiritual wilderness of sin, in this case. He is the great prophet. So you have in Moses the law. You have in Elijah the prophets. They gather together to commune with Christ on the top of the mountain. What does this mean? It means amazing things to consider. Think of this. Both of these men saw the glory of God. Both of them conversed with God on mountaintops. Both had famous departures from this earth. Both, in fact, were expected to return again at the end of the age. Elijah was fulfilled, I think, in John the Baptist and his ministry. The, the function of John the Baptist's ministry, I think Jesus is pointing to, that was, in a sense, the return of Elijah, that great prophet of old. His office was fulfilled there. And I think Moses was fulfilled in the deliverer, Jesus himself. Together, these two men sum up the entire Old Testament. Wow, that's pretty incredible. Both of their ministries pointed to Jesus. And here's the thing. They know this. They know this. They have spent hundreds and hundreds of years with Jesus, anticipating this moment, this sending of the Son, this mission, this accomplishment. And they come at a special time in the ministry of Christ where he begins to set his face toward Jerusalem and head towards the cross to bear the weight of sin. And they come, I think, to encourage him and minister to him and even celebrate with him this moment. Everything has culminated now in this work that Jesus is about to take on. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but fulfill them. Fulfill them. This is why we read the Old Testament, friends. It is as relevant for us today as ever. 
the Old Testament is pointing to Christ. Now, what is it that they were discussing together? They're up there on the mountain. The disciples are there, and they're discussing something. It says they spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. The, the word departure that's used there is literally the word exodus, which is pretty awesome because Moses knows a thing or two about the exodus, the glorious exodus of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. These things are being discussed. I can't help but wonder if you're Peter, James, and John. Huh? What's that? Help me understand this, right? Remember No Comprendo last week? I don't know what you're talking about. Suffering Savior, dying Redeemer. What is that? What is that? that no, this is, it's conquering King. That's what we're looking for. I think they're totally in the dark about this, this work, this ministry in Jerusalem, this mission of Christ still. I don't even think they fully understood this till after the resurrection. The ultimate fulfillment of the ministry of Moses, the ultimate fulfillment of the ministry of Elijah and all the prophets. Listen to Luke 24. We'll get there at some point. He said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart. This is on the road to Emmaus with two disciples. O slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and, and enter into his glory? And then listen to how Jesus shares the gospel. This is a good thing for us to hear. This is how Jesus presents the gospel. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What does that tell us? It tells us that it all points to him. That's part of what I'm going to be doing when I train these pastors down in Uganda. I'm working to put together for them uh, a call to preach the whole counsel of God. Preach especially from the Old Testament when you think New Testament because it is the Old Testament that shows us the fulfillment of Christ in all of these different ways. If we didn't have the Old Testament, this passage alone would leave us scratching our heads. What are we talking about? What's the history? What is fulfillment? What? So much value in the Old Testament. So friends, when you do your devotions, balance New Testament and Old Testament. Read those books that are hard. You need them. Your soul does. They glorify Jesus. This is what I would say. Every passage of Scripture, in one way or another, points to God's grace in Jesus Christ. You can't even say every verse. In some way, shape, or form, is pointing to the grace of God that meets us in Jesus Christ. And that's a lot of verses. And there's some weird ones. Sometimes you have to work at this. Lord, how do these verses show us the story of redemption? How do they reveal of you? What do they point out of me? How do they show me your son and his bringing these two things, these realities together? I'm going to tell these pastors in Uganda that every single aspect of the gospel has its origin in the Old Testament. And so we love a gospel that is rooted in the Old Testament 
and revealed in the new. Now, an overwhelming moment. Oh, we get to hear from the Apostle Peter. Listen to this. Verse 32, Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Okay, so what is it about these disciples? They're, they're sleeping at moments where you don't want to sleep, right? In the garden, right here at the transfiguration. Well, I think there's quite a bit going on. First of all, they climbed almost 10,000 feet here, okay? I don't know about you, but that's tiring, and it's likely happening late at night. The disciples are tired from the climb, whatever it may be. There may be some spiritual aspect to this as well, some discouragement about these confusing words, just tiredness of the burden of trying to figure out all of these things. In any case, they wake up and they behold these things unfolding before their eyes, lighting up the night. I imagine from a distance, even way down in Israel, if you were looking at Mount Hermon, you could have seen this, this shining taking place on the top of that mountain that night. Not from a campfire, but white light. Now, how did they know Moses and Elijah? Okay, that's a question I, was, I couldn't wait to ask. How do they know who it is? They have never seen these men. They've been dead for hundreds of years. Well, they probably introduced themselves. Hi, I'm Moses. Peter, James, John. I mean, for all that matter, Jesus may have said, guys, I'd like to introduce you to some pretty incredible guys. Moses, at that point, you know. And Elijah. What an amazing memory. These men never forgot this night. It was seared into their memories. Now, I don't think they understood it fully until later. Can you imagine this? Someday, all of us will share this experience. To walk up and shake the hand of Moses and say, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we're here. Both of us, sinners, saved by grace. Wow. As the men were parting from him, Peter, <laughs> he says to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents. One for you and one for Moses and, and one for Elijah. And then Luke wants to add this note of commentary, not knowing what he said. So th th this is Peter in that moment of like, who, uh, talk, right? Just like, I don't know what to do. Just talk, say something. And he blurts this out, not knowing what he said. He was overwhelmed with what was happening. I mean, it's one thing for us to consider that this is a Jewish man. He had these portions of Scripture memorized. Moses and Elijah and Jesus glorified. What's wrong with what he said? Well, let's start with what's right. The first sentence, I love. It's good that we're here. I love being here. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. I love that we get to be here. And then he says this, three tenths. What's going on with that? What's in his mind? What's he thinking? Well, I think he's wanting to keep this moment going. Let's not have this end. Let's just stay up here for a while. Guys, don't leave. 
right? They're, they were getting ready to leave. They were parting from him. And he's like, hold, hold on, wait, no, I don't want it to be over. Here, I got an idea. I'll build some tents. James, John, come on. We'll build some tents. One for you, one for you, one for you. What's wrong with this? Well, maybe the obvious one is that these three men are not the same. You don't just build one for Jesus and one for Moses and one for Elijah. We're talking Jesus here. God himself. And then a sinner and a sinner. Okay, so that doesn't work. One for each, that doesn't communicate the significance of this man, Christ Jesus. The other thing is that their focus was not on building monuments. The, The focus was not to extend this into some long thing. Their focus was mission. They were there for Jesus. They came to minister God's grace to encourage and and, and send him on this mission. Building tents was not in the plan. It says that Peter was still talking, and I think it's the Gospel of Matthew. He's still saying these words, and this happens, okay? Verse 34, the Shekinah glory, use that word regularly. It's not actually in the text, but it's used to describe this presence, the dwelling of God, the Shekinah presence of God and the Father's voice. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. This is the cloud of the presence of God, the cloud of glory, and they are enveloped into this cloud. As Peter's talking, you could just hear his words kind of trail off. One for you and one for you. What is this? Man, as if there's not enough people present already, God the Father comes to this gathering point on the top of the mountain. This is the Father's presence. Let's go back and remember a little about this cloud of glory. The Lord went before them day by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they may travel by night by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from the people, from before the people. That's Exodus 13. We read later on uh, that the the pillar of fire moved to the the rear of the the camp of of the Israelites to protect them from the Egyptian army that was coming. And and this pillar of fire literally served to to be a, a firewall to keep the Egyptian army at bay, the presence of God. Can you imagine how comforting this would have been for the Israelites in this moment? At night, you go to bed in the glow of the presence of God on your face. The whole camp was laid out around his presence. Now we fast forward a little bit. Moses on the mountain, Exodus 13, show me your glory. Remember the request of of Moses? And the cloud of God's presence passed before him, and God hid him in the rock, and as it went by, he gave him a glimpse, just a glimpse of the glory of God. Then the dedication of the temple of Solomon as, as it was completed, the sacrifices, all the festivities, and then what happened? 
the cloud of the presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God descended upon the tabernacle, uh, upon the temple, and filled the Holy of Holies. Filled it with the presence of God. It hovered above the mercy seat. And then, sadly, because of sin and compromise, after many, many years, in Ezekiel 10, we read a very fascinating uh, account of how uh, the, the glory of God departed from Israel. It moved out of the temple, and then it rose up to heavens. God left. That was 600 years before this moment. We're talking 600 years, no Shekinah glory in Israel. Maybe the closest thing would have been that night when the, the heavenly host filled the sky for the shepherds and they sang and it was bright and, and they, they, they testified to the birth of Christ. Then this, on the mountain, a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my Son, my chosen one. Listen to Him. Peter, I added that. He comes and he interrupts Peter's jibber-jabber. And he proclaims kind of an echo of of the words of, of Jesus at his baptism. Same thing there. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. My chosen one. What does that echo? He is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, Listen to him. Command of the Father. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and they were terrified. That's pretty common. That's the same response of of Israel when God began to speak the commandments to them and they said, no, stop, we're all going to die. This is terrifying. And so the Lord spoke to Moses on their behalf. Jesus came over. What a moment this is. The mediator right? Our advocate, the one who comes and he touches them and he says, rise, have no fear, have no fear. And they stand up. What a moment this is. I still can hear Peter's words, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Confirmed by the Father himself. This is my son, my son. What glorious words on a Father's Day. My chosen one. Listen to him. Friends, do that today. Hear from the Father right here, today in this place. This is my son, Jesus, my chosen one, listen to him. Oh, so many voices are vying for our attention, just calling us in every other direction but Jesus. And the Father draws our attention where? To Christ. Again and again and again. That's my goal every Sunday in this pulpit. Listen to him. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. They kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. 
They understood. In fact, Jesus called them to keep quiet. Many of these examples would have been too much, too quick. The timing wasn't there. Wait until the fullness of time, then speak up. And they did. That's one of the reasons we have this before us today. Our response this morning, Peter, James, and John, the rest of the disciples, they had in their mind an idea of who Jesus should be, who that Messiah should be, what role he should play, what it would look like. And nearly every anticipation they had was wrong. It was wrong. They they, They were too small in their thoughts. The glory of Christ was far greater than they ever dreamed. It was far greater than just a political stand in a piece of land. It was global. And not just global. It was in every time and every place. For every nation, tribe, and tongue. That's the kingdom that Jesus was ushering in. The glory of Christ is in His exaltation. The glory of Christ in his, it's in His radiant face that shines bright. But the greatest display of the glory of Christ is what? It's in His work. It's in His humble servanthood to take upon Himself humanity, to, to lower Himself to our place, that the potter became the clay And then his wrath-satisfying sacrifice to die uh, the the death of of, of humiliation of a criminal. Though he was without sin, he became sin that we might become the righteousness of God through him. His glory is in the resurrection over death and hell. His conquering. He is the reigning king today. 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 And his kingdom is in this place wherever there is a bended knee to his rule and reign. A welcoming of his sovereign victory over all things. Listen to these verses. I just got to say this. There are some verses in your Bible that when you read them, you can't help but just be like, yes! Yes! I can't wait for that! This is one, one passage. John, who was there on the mountain, who experienced this moment, has another vision of Christ. He writes this in Revelation. Then I turned to see the voice of one uh, uh, that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, Clothed with a long robe, that's glory, glory of a king is the length of his robe, and a golden sash around his chest, and the hairs of his head were white, like wool, like snow. You hear him reaching to describe this experience for us? His eyes were like a flame of fire, his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in the furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, 
and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. What do you think John is recalling in those words? He knows who this is. He knows exactly who this is. He's seen this one before. When I saw him, I fell at his feet. There he is again. It's the rightful response for every sinner in the presence of one so holy. I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me. That's happened before, hasn't it? Same thing. He came and he laid his hand on me. And he said, fear not. Same thing. Fear not, John. I am the first and the last. I'm the living one. I died. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Friends, the glory of Christ is more than just his rule and reign as king. The glory of Christ is in his tender mercy that he would lay down his life and take my place and yours to pay for the wrath for all of the sins that I have committed against a righteous and holy Father. To deal with the separating reality of my fallenness and rebellion and bring me to God. He did that for me. And for you, if you receive Him as Lord, if you trust Him as Savior, if you look to Him for who He is, And so I leave you with this question this morning. Are you living your life seeing and savoring Jesus Christ? It's not enough to see him. I know about Jesus. Yeah, sure, I believe he's God. So does Satan. So does Satan. Here is what you need. You have to bow your knee. Bend your knee. Turn from sin. Trust him as Savior and king, and sovereign in your life. Live your days for him, delighting in him, worshiping him. Think of the songs we sing. That's exactly what we do in all of these songs. Do you see him for who he is? If the answer today for you is no, I don't. I don't see what you see. I I don't understand why the big deal about Jesus. I just tell you today, look again. Look again. Keep looking. Keep looking. Ask God to show you who He is. Open your eyes. Those who seek will find. Those who knock, the door will be open. Trust Him. Look to Him. Call out for Him. Let's pray. Lord, we love Your Son, Jesus. We see Him and we see glory. We savor Him, Lord. We worship. We worship Him as God. We thank You for the revelation of this incredible glory that was revealed, this transfiguration, this metamorphosis that we were given, the the pulling back of the veil of the glory of our Savior. 
We share with, with Peter, James, and John in just this, this experience of being overwhelmed by your greatness, your sovereignty, your glory. We thank you for your love. You're not just great and big and sovereign and powerful, but you're close and gentle and full of grace and mercy and tender. You reach out and you touch us and you say, fear not, trust me, come stand with me. Lord, I thank you for your grace that has changed my life. And I pray that that same grace would meet every person here and everyone who listens to this sermon. For your glory forever. Amen.